welcome to the Greenlight Podcast, an audio breakdown of the regulatory barriers to social equity in the cannabis industry by Marijuana Matters. My name is Deanna Benjamin, and I'm your host. What does it mean to show up as an ally in the world, in society, in your job, in the cannabis industry? We're using the next few episodes to consider these questions by talking to people working in the cannabis space who identify in as allies. So in part three of this ally series, I had the awesome opportunity to talk to Kate Steinberg, corporate social responsibility analyst at Curely, the largest cannabis MSO in the country. Stay with us to hear how and why social responsibility and social equity have become cornerstone concepts in Kate's life. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Kate Steinberg, analyst for corporate social responsibility at Cureleaf. And we can just get started right away with that title. So Kate, what is social responsibility? First off, thank you so much for having me. Uh, When I think of social responsibility, Social responsibility is really the the heart and the soul of these larger companies. You know, we are able to make such a big impact on the communities where we operate and social responsibility uh, really asks us to think about the ways that we are showing up and how we can do a better job with the work that we're doing. Mm, I love that. Um, Is it so the reason I want to start with social responsibility is just because to me, it's sort of a new title. Um, do you feel like your group is kind of pioneering something, um, or that you've seen other examples of social responsibility in other organizations, or is this something that's kind of new to you too? Because I haven't really heard of it outside of a few, you know, corporations here and there. Yeah. So I've, I've heard of it within other, other companies outside of the cannabis sector, Um, But I do feel like it's fairly new here. And I think a really big reason for that is, you know, first off, the awareness of of the consumers and the people who are, you know, utilizing our services and our products, they care about these things. But also the younger generations, as they're getting older and older, you know, studies are showing that, you know, millennials are willing to pay more money, whether it's at McDonald's or at a clothing shop or at a cannabis company, if they know that their money is going to good use. Mm. Um, And so... You know, I I think a lot of people, corporate social responsibility is is a lot to digest. It's a lot to take in and it's really an entire mindset. It's a way of thinking about things. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people, when they hear about CSR, their their instinct is, you know, just writing checks and giving money. And it's so much more than that. You know, it really, it falls into what are we doing for our employees? What are we doing in the communities that we serve? how are we changing the products that we're offering in a way that benefits those around us? There's just so much that goes into it beyond this stereotypical like check delivery part of the process. Right. Um, and I think that when I when I think towards the cannabis companies and what they're doing right now, I, I like to think that we're pretty pretty far ahead in the game, but there's always room for growth. And I love that our team is always thinking to the future of like, okay, that went well, but how do we do it even better next time? How do we make a greater impact next time? Hmm. I love, I mean, there's so many things that you just said that I think are so important. Like one, corporate social responsibility is a mutually beneficial arrangement. It sounds like you find value in the communities where you also profit from. And that, that is 
that sounds like a, a good deal <laughs> for everybody, a win-win situation. How can we benefit your community um, and also benefit in turn? It's, it just sounds like smart business. And I think that you are implying for a lot of other people, they hear social responsibility or just anything along those lines and they think charity, <laughs> um, donations, it, it, it doesn't have the same, well, what value can we add and what what's valuable about this community? It sounds so much more like a partnership than like, you know, just taking care of somebody. That, I mean, that, and that's truly what we're going for because when you think of that, that stereotypical assumption about CSR being that, you know, one time check donation, you get nice pictures, you do a press release and then it's over with, that's not, that doesn't do much long-term. You're helping them that one period of time. And then for all intents and purposes, you disappear. Right. You know, and so we are so big on mutually beneficial, long lasting, impactful and meaningful relationships. We don't want you to just hear Curaleaf and think we're going to show up and you're not going to hear from us again. We want you to hear Curaleaf and know that we are going to work with you mm -hmm. to see what your end goals are, to work with our end goals. So we're both getting something out of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just as an example, we're working with a One Pulse Foundation for Pride Month. And so the sale of our batteries and free rolls at uh, a portion of our locations will benefit that organization. Mm -hmm. But in addition, they're also going to be taking part in a panel that we're hosting. Mm -hmm. So our team members can learn more about the causes and the issues impacting the queer community. You know, there's so much more to it. And I think that the organizations respect the relationship so much more when they can count on you as a friend and a partner mm -hmm. and not just as someone who is there when it when it works for you, right. you know? And, and I think that also ties in nicely with, you know, when it's Pride Month, when it's Black History Month, all of these really large companies just show up out of nowhere and they wanna do something so they can show on social media what they're doing. And we're trying to avoid that. So we're always working with our, our queer centered employee resource group to see how we can support them. We've been having this pronoun conversation for months now trying to see the best way to um, implement a, you know, having pronouns on our signatures and having pronoun pins in a way where our patients or our employees are not going to be negatively impacted because our team members aren't educated enough about that conversation where they're going to say something unintentionally uh, offensive or upsetting, you know, so it's very, we're very systematic about it, where we're always thinking about these causes, always about the veterans, it's always about the queer community, it's always about, you know, all of these different populations, not just during the awareness month where it's relevant, but all the time. Oh, wow, I can, and I can hear the passion in your voice. And I love that. And so that just brings me to my next question. Can you tell me about the moment when you realized that social equity was important to you and what was the journey that led you to that realization? So I, I've had a really interesting journey in cannabis. I started off as a dispensary associate uh, about five years ago. And the most important thing in the world to me at that point was patient access. Um, I, I really wasn't aware of social equity. I wasn't aware of the, the issues with ownership of cannabis companies because where I was from in New Jersey, there were only five dispensaries. So the likelihood of them having diverse ownership, it, it was not, it was not, didn't seem realistic anyway, yeah. but what mattered to me at that point in time was how do I make people unafraid of trying this new, 
I mean, not new medicine because cannabis has been in existence for centuries, but how do I get people who are used to traditional pharmaceuticals that are prescribed by their doctor? And how do I make them comfortable with the concept of trying this, this, this plant um, that, that can be used for so many different purposes? Right. Um, and so then once I relocated to Massachusetts to be um, assistant manager for one of our dispensaries, shortly after I was outreach manager, and that involved traveling the state to educate senior centers and support groups. And that then moved my focal point to accessibility in terms of, you know, a lot of the support groups I'm going to, they're, they're in wheelchairs, you know, or they have canes or depending on the weather, if it's rainy weather and they're incredibly arthritic or they have fibromyalgia, how can we make sure that they have a comfortable experience when they come to purchase products for their qualifying conditions. And it, it honestly was not until I joined the CSR team at Curaleaf under Khadija that my, like, my mind was just blown. There were so many things I was just not aware of because I'm a white cisgender female, mm. you know? And so I was so uh, kind of in my own island around my privilege. Like I knew I had privilege in terms of being able-bodied, you right. know, or not, not having a disability, but I just did not realize that there were so many opportunities I had access to that other people didn't because of, you know, my, the socioeconomic status I grew up in or the way that I looked or, or, you know, things along those lines, the education that I had access to, you know? And so once I started working at the corporate office with the CSR team, it was just, there were many moments where I really had to sit back and, and consider like, there was almost this guilt of like, why am I lucky enough to be in this position when there are so many other people and just because their name is a little bit difficult to pronounce or, you know, they're a little bit tanner than I am or because they look disabled or like whatever the situation is, like I was really sitting in this guilt of like what made me lucky enough to be in this position when so many other people who are just as if not more deserving are not in this position. Mm. Wow. So I what I like about your story is it you start out with the desire to help others. And as you are moving in that, you begin to learn more about other needs that are out there that are outside of your bubble. And it's interesting because I hear that guilt from a lot of people when they begin, when they become more exposed to inequities, um, racial inequities, economic inequities, gender, they're, they're, they're everywhere. How did you, change that guilt into action like what why didn't you just stop because a lot of people like feel the guilt and then they're like I don't want to go there you know I've struggled my life is hard too this isn't my problem you clearly have made it your problem so how did you get to that point I think for me, it's all about mindset is that, you know, first off, I'm a very empathetic person. So no matter what I'm going to feel for other situations, once I'm made aware of what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but the way I look at it is like, I think first off, there comes a point of, you know, using your privilege and like acknowledging your privilege and taking advantage of it, mm -hmm. you know, so acknowledging every single moment throughout the day, being openly aware, you know, when I was pulled over, and on my floor was, you know, a flyer that had a cannabis leaf on it. And that officer didn't notice it. He didn't care about it. I, you know, I was definitely going over the speed limit and he let me go with a warning. If I looked a different way or if my car looked a certain way, or if there was any way that this officer before he saw me was coming to conclusions, how would that situation have manifested differently? You know, or I go to the grocery store and I'm wearing a hoodie because I'm really cold and my hair is a hot mess right now. Nobody's following me around. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm able to, to grab what I want, put it in my shopping cart and then pay and leave. And nobody's making any assumptions, you know? So I think that the first step is being aware that there are differences and there are biases. And sometimes there are unconscious biases that, that we're just really not aware of. And then once you start acknowledging that, you know, taking, taking note every day, when you notice these moments where, wow, that, that could have gone differently if I was anybody else, mm. you know, and, and trying to picture that. Um, and I think that if you, it's so easy to just close your eyes to certain things. Yeah. I think we get really personally offended. And like, you know, I, I've had colleagues who've said, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this. It's making me uncomfortable. I understand you're trying to see how I'm feeling given what's happening in the black and brown community, but I don't want to talk about this right now. And like, at first you're like, I, but I didn't mean to do anything wrong. And that's cool. There's a very big difference though, between intent and actions. Yeah. You can't tell somebody else that the way you made them feel is a lie because they're feeling that way. That's not, that's not objective. You know, like that is a fact. They felt that way and you've got to deal with it. If I'm just going to be closed-minded to it and shut it off because it makes me feel better for the next five minutes, then like, I'm not improving myself as a person. Mm. So like, I would rather be uncomfortable for the next 30 minutes as I'm looking into something and seeing these injustices and how, you know, others actions have made people feel or how my actions have made people feel like that's going to improve me as a human in the long term. Mm -hmm. And like, do you complain when you go for a run and your legs hurt afterwards? No, because you know that the more you go on runs, the stronger your body's going to get. Ooh, okay. You know, so like, let's put up with that discomfort. Let's acknowledge it and let's normalize it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there, there are too many people who they just, it's so easy to shut it down. Mm -hmm. Let's make it normal. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. That's the first step. That means you're headed in the right direction, yeah. you know, like sit in that absorb it and imagine the discomfort that all of these underrepresented communities are feeling on a regular basis because people like ourselves as like white folks are tired of feeling uncomfortable for five minutes at a time. Wow. I'm just preaching. I mean, Lord, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're so welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, there was just a lot, a lot of really good nuggets there. I mean, what you said about if you are feeling a certain way, I can't tell you that what you're feeling isn't true. And also I can withstand a little discomfort because it's when you are in that role of ally, the discomfort is temporary for you. And it's also something that you can put down. Whereas the person who's at the center of whatever this inequity is can never put it down. If you are black, you can never take off your, you, I don't want to, but that's something that, you know, an, in every moment and in, in all decisions, it's something that I'm personally considering. Um, so I love what you said about using that discomfort, not only to benefit the person who is uh, a target of the bias, but also to strengthen yourself there. Again, I see this mutually beneficial theme. Like it's a, you, you even said, this is something that's going to make me a better person. It's not just like, I'm just, I am, you know, here just sacrificing myself on behalf of these people who I feel so sorry for. It's no, I, I want to show up as the best type of person I can be in the world. That's better for me too. So I, I just love that. Um, yeah, I'm not like, I'm not here to be a white savior and like just do nice things and put it on social media. Like, and something I say time and time again is actions speak louder than words. Yeah. You know, I can say, I can say, I'm sorry. I can say nice things, but like, if I'm not truly changing myself, then I'm, I'm doing a disservice to myself and everybody around me. Yeah. That's so good. Thank <laughs> I'm like, thank you. That's just really refreshing to hear that. Um, so 
I'm wondering if you've spoken, obviously in, in the role that you have at your job, people expect you to make them uncomfortable, I'm guessing. But I'm also wondering in your, in your life outside of work or even at work too, have you ever worried about being seen as like a troublemaker or someone who's stirring the pot or intentionally making people feel uncomfortable because of your intentionality in entering this allyship role? And if you've experienced that, how do you get over it? How do you deal with that fear? How do you get up the next day and not feel like, oh my gosh, I'm annoying everyone? Because that's a, that is a big fear a lot of people have. So I think I was kind of, I guess, grandfathered into it or eased into the situation because when I was about 14, my sister came out as, as gay. Mm -hmm. um, and it was no, like for me, I, I didn't need to come to terms with it. It was just like, okay, cool. Like what, what do I care what you do in your spare time with a person that you love? Mm -hmm. But then like in high school, you know, people would, people would say things, people would do things, people would make her feel uncomfortable. And like, there was no doubt in my mind that I was not going to put up with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I might be her little sister, but like when that happened, I felt like the big sister and like, I didn't care who I made feel uncomfortable because this was my sister. This was her life. And this was also her mental health, Yeah, you know, and it doesn't matter whether you're queer, whether you're BIPOC, whether you're disabled, like again, what, what, what type of person or like demographic you fit into yeah. at the end of the day, like so many people are so insensitive to the impact that they're having on others. It's, it's not I would love if we lived in a we not me world, but right now there are times where it feels like everybody is so concerned with themselves mm -hmm. that the way they're making other people feel is like a total afterthought and we need to move away from that. And so kind of the way that I've looked at it is like, I'm going to defend those around me. Um, and when they're there, I'm gonna let them speak up for themselves. But if they need somebody to speak up, I am here to provide that support. Mm -hmm. And if the person that I'm speaking with doesn't like what I have to say, they're not somebody that I wanna have in my life. You know, because I've had these difficult conversations with people who are, as an example, on the total opposite side of the political spectrum than I am. Mm -hmm. And there's two types of people. There are people who shut you down immediately. They don't like the discomfort and they, they exit the situation. Yeah. And there are people who say, you know what, let's have a fair fight. Like, tell me what you have to say. Prove me wrong. Let's do this. You know, and I can I can respect that because that shows the willingness to reconsider and change your, your future actions. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, you know, I feel like this also equates to like, if you are dating somebody and you don't like how they make you feel sometimes, like you don't have to keep anybody in your life, you know? So if they don't, if they don't want to hear what you have to say, if they want to be stuck in their ways, um, then I don't feel that's a big loss. You know, I want to surround myself with people who do good things. Um, I want to surround myself with people where I'm, you know, eager to defend them. If anybody ever said anything negative. Like, I feel that who you, who you surround yourself with is a direct representation of who you are as a person. Mm. And I think, I mean, the whole idea of who you surround yourself with being of critical importance, because I'm hearing the fact that you are related, your sister belongs to a marginalized group that had a direct impact on how you view other people. And I'm sure not just the queer community, because I can relate to that. My um, proximity to people of color gives me empathy for the queer community because I know what it's like to be on the margins. Same thing as, you know, being a woman. So I definitely, I think that people, what I hope people are hearing is look at your network, your, look at your circle. Is everybody in your circle privileged to the utmost? Do you know what it's like to even be 
around someone who does not have the same uh, types of privileges as a cisgendered white male. Um, and if you don't, like, <laughs> what do you do? How do you, and I guess that's a question I'll ask you, how do you respectfully insert yourself into, or I don't know, become adjacent to marginalized communities? Because you're a white woman. How do you do that in a way that you feel respects, you know, each individual in each community, but also allows you to learn without burdening that community with the responsibility of your own learning? Like, how do you navigate that? So yeah, something that was difficult for me initially is I, I went to school for psychology. So I like hearing from people directly what they're going through and how it's impacting them. So my first instinct was, hey, you know, you're, you're, you are, a, you know, you are a person of color. You're a friend of mine. How is this making you feel right now? Yeah. What I realized is it's not their job to inform me. Yeah. We have this beautiful thing called the internet. There are people who want to share their stories. So they write a blog, you know, or they do uh, a video on YouTube or they do something on Instagram or like nowadays there's TikTok. And so there are so many different resources that like my friends know that I love learning and that I'm always eager to hear their perspectives. So if they want to share that with me, I will let them come to me. But it's, it's, we have too many resources available at the tip of our fingertips for me to burden all of my friends and expect them to, to do my work for me and to like inform me, you yeah. know? And I think that that is a state of privilege of being like, oh, but I expect you mm. to teach me so I can feel good about being a white person, mm. you know? That's really, really helpful. Cause you're right. There's, there are books, movies, podcasts, blogs. There's everything. It's difficult to not find something. You're right. You just got to kind of look <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And, and I, something I love with social media, like Instagram is when I look at people's stories, when I learn new things from my, from my counterparts, my friends and my colleagues who share things that give me those like, wow, or aha moments, I follow those pages. Right. So then my Instagram feed, it's not my friends going out and drinking or seeing people like socialize at the clubs. It is informational Instagram feed posts about things that I want to, to learn about to be a better ally. Yeah. And that sounds like something anybody can do. Like you don't have to work, you know, in a, a corporate social responsibility role to do that. So what would you say to someone who, you know, they, they're hearing this or like, I want to do more, but I mean, that's not my job. Like I, you know, I just work at a restaurant or I, am never asked to share my opinion, or I don't know what power I have to actually make a difference. What would you say to someone who feels like they can't actually help to promote social equity in cannabis or anywhere? Um, yeah, how would you encourage them to move past that? I mean, I would say unless you are living at your job all day, every day, and you have a specified script as to what you are and are not allowed to say, this is very much an important conversation to have. And this is these are important topics to be aware of because Yes, you may work at a restaurant, but A, you may have a couple come in that's, you know, being harassed by another person at the restaurant. And this is your opportunity to make a difference and let the manager know what's going on. But also when you clock out and you're done your work for the day, if you're at a bar with friends or hey, maybe you're having like a fireside chat with friends and they say something that's like really inappropriate, like it's okay to say something in return to that. You know, like I have definitely had those moments where I've had a friend say something. And again, the, the ill intent was not there. But when I asked them, hey, can you explain why you feel that way a little bit more? Then comes the, oh, I didn't mean it like that. Or like, oh, I was joking. 
And then because they have to think about it and they have to sit in that uncomfortable feeling of, of confrontation, they're going to think twice before they say that same comment again. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's super practical. Anybody can do that, but it just takes a little bit of courage. And it sounds, Kay, like you've got a lot of that and you're using it along with your privilege to promote social equity in cannabis. And not just, it sounds like it's not just in cannabis. It's how can we be an equitable society for everyone? That's what I hear in everything that you're saying. And I just appreciate everything that you've shared with us today. Um, I think that this is going to be really useful for our listeners. So thank you so much for your time, Kate. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for covering this very relevant topic. That's it for today's episode of the Greenlight Podcast. If you support what we're doing, subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. That'll help others find us and learn more about social equity in the cannabis industry. You can find out more about Marijuana Matters by checking out our website, marijuanamatters.org, and you can follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Marijuana Matters DC. Thanks for joining us. Talk soon.